less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Deep dive. Hola, Martin. 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 Yeah, hola. Khalil. I don't yeah. know how you say Khalil in Spanish accent. Usually, so I, I used to work in a restaurant. Uh, I also play in what's called Mexican League in Oklahoma City. They call me Khalil, um, which isn't really Khalil, but Khalil. Or I guess on the radio, there's Kalimba, and they would call me Kalimba sometimes in the back of the restaurant. You that know what Kalimba, Kalimba means in Spanish, don't you? No idea. Oh, man, I can't say it on a podcast. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, man, we're doing a little bit different today. We usually try to outline a topic and just run through it. You know, we, we outline some things and try to hit certain points, but we're going a little bit different day, a little bit kind of off the cuff. But you and I have, I mean, how many, how many phone calls do you think you have a week? Oh, I don't have a clue. I guess I Dozens, can look. Right? I have 26 current clients. So at least one, right. at least yeah. 26. I don't talk with all of them every week, but uh, pretty much. Yeah. And then all the follow talk to them more than once, and then everything else, such as a podcast, which is not. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of calls. I think between <laughs> our clients and then employee phone calls and sales calls, I mean, I'm at least probably 40 a week at minimum. Fuck conversations. Oh, I'm 40 a day. Wow. Easily. Yeah, and you know, think you think that was a lot, but I have a client who is a an insurance agent. Yeah, and they're required to do eighty a day, and they do it. That's yeah. a lot of phone calls. That's a lot of phone calls. Yeah. I mean, forty a day. I I would say that mine are longer in length. I'm not. Yeah, I might I minutes. might be exaggerating on that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, we're going to talk this about some of the things is that we negatively affecting my <laughs> your mic. Yeah, and that's, well, as you fix that, uh, I think. What we're going to try to do today is take some of the conversations that we've had this week yeah. and kind of simplify them down or uh, rearrange them into this podcast where we're trying to add value from some things that we've learned or knowledge that we've tried to share with people uh, throughout the week. I think something that's we've both had conversations with people about are partnerships. Right. And we even have mentioned it several times in other podcasts. But I think that... Uh, it's such a prevalent thing for most, or not most, but a lot of businesses where they have partners and there's issues with that. And I know you're dealing with one right now. What are some of the conversations you're having right now around partnerships? Well, been very confidential in all of it. Nobody would know who I'm talking about, but had some relatively new clients who came in and uh, wanted coaching. And one of the things I noticed was that they had kind of a loose corporate structure um, not that they didn't have agreements and papers, but the way it was run, there were yeah. obvious and immediately apparent uh, conflicts, potential conflicts. Yeah. So if the two partners weren't exactly on the same page, they both had rights and privileges. Um, I'll just I'll throw out an example of what I'm talking about. Both of them could write a check on the bank account and take all the money. Mm. Either of them could do that. At any point. There weren't any controls on it. And it wouldn't be illegal. Right. Well, it, you know, what's illegal and what's not uh my sister's an attorney, and I asked her one time at Thanksgiving, what's the stupidest question you've ever been asked? And she thought for about two seconds, and she said, can he do that? <laughs> and he just did, right? Right. And what's the second stupidest question? Is that legal? Well, we're about to find out. So. Yeah. But no, uh, and even if there would be no criminal thing there. Um, but anyway, you have something like that that was not considered, not thought about when you created the structure. and. Um, it can cause real problems. Yeah. And these two people are coming apart. In other words, mm -hmm. when we started, I thought, well, let's structure this and get it done right and work through it. But it was already at the point where they're coming apart. Uh, Try to resolve it um, peacefully, where we just work our way through and work something out. And, yeah. And it didn't go that way. And now attorneys got it and it's ugly and stinky and we may get out of it. but. It all comes from a lack of planning at the time they started. Well, with and that lack of planning comes, we've, I think, mentioned this on other episodes, but that lack of planning comes because when they start that partnership, usually it's the beginning of a company and there's no value in the company. Right. And they're friends, they're amicable, 
they think, oh yeah, you know, we'll 50, 50, we'll just split it down the middle. There's right. no value here, you know? Right. But as there starts to be value in that company, well, it just didn't, to change. it just isn't, it isn't just value. It's uh, your relative contributions. Who's going to do what, mm-hmm. um, who gets to make the decisions or does everything have to be, you know, does no prevail? That's a way to do it. If you need more money, who's going to put the money in? Yep. Uh, who's going to take the money out? How are we going to exercise, um, um, decisions how you know yep. who's, who's going to actually do the work who's not they're just all these things that when two buddies get together and think well let's go into business together uh, they don't think about yep and it's not just that the money shows up it's other things too when you partner with somebody what i like to say is that may not be the same person you're partnering with in the future yeah and i mean that in one sense that your priorities head one direction like you want to build a business to sell or whatever yep. and their priorities head so it's the same person, yeah. but they're different than they were when you started the business five years ago. But there's another one. They may literally not be the same person because <laughs> what happens if something, you know, they could lose it, their share, their ownership to creditors. They could lose it to a divorce. They could die in inheritance. Yeah. So you're literally not dealing with the same person. Well, what do you do in those circumstances? And most, I think it's fair to say most, people who form partnerships um, don't think about those things yeah. early on. Uh, the other one that you mentioned that doesn't have any value and you're willing to give up 50% of the equity just because at the coffee shop where you're deciding, you don't want to <laughs> say, well, I want 90. Right. And it, whoa, that's a little fair. Well, that, here's a, here's a warning to people who do business also. It probably doesn't come up that much with contractors, but if somebody wants to pay you in equity, you know, I'll give you a share of my company if you'll come do this for me. What they're telling you is they don't value their company. Yeah. I mean, they don't really believe it. Yep. Because if you start out with nothing in, in um, 10 years, you have a $20 million company making $2.5 million a year. You just gave away $1.75 million per year every year for the life of your company. Yep. So that the guy would come over and not charge you for his bulldozer that day. Right? Yeah. So lots of considerations. And... Uh, one thing I want to jump back and say, we're using the word partnership. Partnership doesn't literally mean, it can be, literally mean a partnership, uh, which is a type of corporate structure and tax right. different ways. But it means any way that you get into business with somebody where you offer them rights or grants or ownership yep. that you can't just get out of. Yep. So you hire somebody, like it or not, you can always terminate somebody. Yep. But if you bring somebody on and you grant them ownership rights, they have authority, such as being able to go to the bank and take all the money out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want them to do that. Well, they did it. And, you know, yeah. so now you're going to go to court and find out, can he do that? And is it legal? Yeah. Well, and you it, might it, get your money back. And this is where people are, what the common thing is to maybe not even have an operating agreement in place right. or to just download one off the internet That's, and maybe go to an attorney and try to pay the minimum fee to be able to have one. And they're not going to be looking out for all these right. things. And really, at the beginning, it's better to go through all these scenarios of what if. What and you're, if, and you're not if. going to be able to think of all of them. No, you're not. And that's so why you need outside that's, help. That's another place where do you value your company? Because if you're unwilling to spend, let's say it's 5000 bucks, right. to find an experienced deal attorney. That's sure. somebody who knows what questions divorce and death and who puts money in and how do you price the business if you're going to sell it. And yep. Just all of those things. Somebody has to go through that. And what I like to say is if you're not having uncomfortable conversations, you're not having the right conversations. Yeah. Because you have to look at your prospective partner and go, no, I'm putting all the money in, so I'm getting 80%. Yeah. Or if I have to put more money in and you don't match it, you're going to get diluted, which means your percentage ownership is going to go down. Go down, yeah. You have to have those conversations. Yeah. I think I want to touch on another piece that happens inside of partnerships. and was a conversation I had this week that – what ends up happening oftentimes in a new company, especially with partners, is that they take on the same role and they're doing the same responsibilities, the same tasks week mm-hmm. in and week out. Um, you know, they have their, their load of administrative tasks, their load of manager tasks, their load of actually doing the business operational tasks. And they basically split them evenly. And what ends up happening is they're one, they're two different people. They have different strengths. And so one of them might be stronger than the other in another area. One might be weaker. But then they start to compare to each other. 
oh, so-and-so is not doing enough here. Oh, so-and-so is not doing enough oh, yeah. here. And that's whenever the partnership really starts to create resentment inside of that partnership. Well, I've seen that where uh, literally I'm thinking of a company where the partners get along great. <laughs> the spouses don't get along. Well, why did he get a new truck? Yep. He got a new truck. How did he get that new truck? Well, <laughs> I don't know. He saved up his money and bought it bought with his own truck. personal funds. But, and that doesn't mean that spouses are the petty people. It can be the person themselves. But I've seen that. Yep. So how do you handle distributions? Uh, yeah, and one person needs a lot of money because of their spending habits. Another one doesn't. Yep. Well, that doesn't mean that you distribute all the cash. There just have to, these things There's have to be, be thought through. Yeah. And I think what ends up happening as well, not only does resentment become uh, present in the partnership because you're doing the same responsibilities and, and you're filling the same roles, but eventually what ends up happening is one person doesn't do as well in one of the tasks and they start not giving as much time to it and they feel like the direction needs to be different because they don't like their role and they start having a different vision for the company. Whereas if you would have stepped back in the beginning and said, okay, here's our vision, right. here's how you can execute this vision, and here's how I'm gonna execute this vision, this is what my role looks like and my responsibilities, here's what yours look like, you feel like you're actually working towards a common goal. Right. Rather than, man, I hate my role right now, I wanna change it, I need to change the vision of the company so that I can do my role better. It, it goes off in different directions and that's how resentment even grows further and distance and separation inside the company and you don't really execute anything well. Well, wrote an article, it's on Forbes, it's called The Partner or Not the Partner, and actually I think it's pretty good. Uh, you can find it, Forbes, Mar Partner or Not, and it lists a lot of, a lot of uh, subject and, and reasons, but you have to have a way yeah. um, in advance to get out of, to, to, to handle those issues. Yeah. And very unlikely you're gonna do that yourself. You, you just have to make the decisions. And, my the conclusion of that article I wrote, I guess why I brought it up is that the default position is no partners. Yeah. People when you're starting a company, not everybody's this way. I know I was. Hey, I want help. <laughs> I want somebody to do part of the work. I want a sounding board. I want somebody to put up some of the money. I want somebody who has different contacts than I am. I want somebody that maybe has a skill set that I don't have. Yep. And so I want help. And I start thinking early on. Well, I don't have any money, so I'm going to do the equity thing and bring yep. them on. And what I wind up doing is giving away the company. And when I think back to those things, uh, I talk about it in the article when I say, I'm scared is the real reason. Yeah, I don't want to borrow the money because I don't really believe in it. That's another reason. So we start examining why do you why do you want somebody to come along and not just hire the skill, not you know as contractors or employees hire it done and a lot of times it comes down to you need to examine what's really going on with you and yeah a lot of times it's you're just scared you're just scared and you don't know what you don't know right. you know a lot of people go into the partnership because they feel like it's the only way that they're going to be able to succeed as uh, if they have someone's help and that might be true for some people but it's not totally true and you don't know what the impact of a partnership can have on your business but i think what's most valuable for anybody that's having, there's probably fewer people listening right now that are about to start a partnership. And there's probably more people that are either aren't in one or are in one currently. Well, the other, so, I mean, we're, we're talking about it because it's going on right now yeah. with people I know. But I've also had clients in the past. Matter of fact, uh, they were, my clients were attorneys in a, in a firm. And I said, do you have a partnership agreement? I mean, an under, an operating agreement. Yes, we do. And I said, well, does it deal with all these things? And they said, you know, not really. So yeah. they hired another attorney and went and redid it. Yep. Right. And they've been in business for a long time. Yep. They have goodwill towards each other. They have complementary and supplementary roles. They're not trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So it's partnerships can be magnificent. Dave Ramsey says the only ship that won't sail is a partnership. And that's true for the reasons that we're talking about. But it's also true that partners can be magnificent. Absolutely. And I mean, big guys like Jobs and Wozniak but, and Hewlett and Packard. But also, I can think of uh, people within five miles of where I'm sitting, been partners for 40 years. Yeah. And do exceptionally well. And it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. 
you have somebody to cover for you. You do have a sounding board. You got, but boy, you have to have a fit. You've got to have a really good fit. There's a good book called Rocket Fuel that talks about mm -hmm. this, having uh, kind of the visionary role and the integrator role who makes the vision come to life. Um, but I think that's something that people can take away from this. If you're in a partnership and don't have these things in place, go do it now while you do have right. the goodwill. Be proactive in it uh, while there's not the issues at hand. And then have these conversations. If you're not, if you're doing the same exact role as partners, have conversations about what you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing, what you feel like you're, who you have as strengths and what you feel like your weaknesses are and see if you can start to balance each other out more and not do the same thing. Your company will benefit more from you focusing in on your strengths and focusing on a different right. role than your partner than you doing the exact same thing. And you will, will see a big improvement in different things. Like if one person's better with people, have them go and manage the people, have them be in charge of the hiring of the development and the, um, you know, the structure of the operations team and handle the one-on-ones with team members, the quarterly reviews or annual reviews that you do with people. If one person is better at the administrative, make, put them in charge of the bookkeeping, in charge of the billing, in charge of, you know, all the benefits for the company, whatever it is. Uh, it's going to help you operate a lot more efficiently, feel like you're working <clears throat> towards that common vision and feel like you're not just stuck in the same mundane things and comparing yourself to your partner. You know, you, you're going to respect your partner more for what they've taken off your plate and focusing on their strengths than, oh, no, is he doing as much as I am? So, anyways. I'm looking over your shoulder at a poster on the wall of a company that was doing about <laughs> $10 million in Oklahoma City until three years ago. And there were three partners, two of whom were on the same page, build a highly profitable business to sell. Yeah. And another one, what I call a dirty fingernail guy, and that's not a pejorative. I don't mean it that way, but a dirty fingernail guys are guys that don't think they're that, that they think they're not working unless they're physically doing something. Mm. In other words, sit around thinking, strategizing, and coming up with a plan that's not real work. And I also very much dislike the dirty fingernail guy in this case. He was a uh, piece of piece hmm. of work. Yeah, that'll <laughs> yeah that'll but very self serving. Yeah, yeah, devious, mm -hmm. and that company came apart. Yeah, and. The reason was they did not have a sufficient, I mean, very much the reason, because it went to court and did all these things, but very much did not have a proper operating agreement yeah. with understanding. So the one guy took down the three guys, and he did a lot, took down all of them, took down the other two, and he was doing a lot of things that he shouldn't have been allowed to do. Yeah. Now, he would have done them anyway, even if he weren't allowed, because that's the kind of guy he was. Right. But that that's a 10 million sales company that's no longer here. Wow. They couldn't even get it to the point where they could sell it because the guy was so bad. Yeah. Toxic. Yeah. Well, I think this, uh, the next thing that we're you know wanting to talk about here, uh, outside of partnerships is really around the team that you have around hiring, around retaining, around investing in your team. Uh, and we both had conversations. I've got, I think five clients right now that are struggling with hiring and mm -hmm. I'm sure you have probably somewhere in the Everybody. same range. Everybody. Um, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing around hiring for your clients? Well, <laughs> that they can't do it. <laughs> no, I had a, I got a uh, text from a guy yesterday, and it was a report from the Oklahoma City metropolitan area, which I'm sure is not that much different than others on the hiring conditions over the last uh, quarter. And it showed there were 611,000 people working in Oklahoma City metro area that got surveyed anyway. But what was interesting to me was that they had, in the last quarter, hired 98,000 new employees. Then the next column was separations, 117,000. Wow. So it went down, whatever, that's 19,000 uh, over the last quarter. Do they quarter. track the purpose of separation? Uh, not in the report I saw. Okay. I mean, I'm sure somebody does. But they were talking about turnover. You know, how, But the thing that jumped out at me was, there are 17,000 fewer working in this booming job market. So yeah. we can speculate. I mean, I have my opinions on why it's hard to hire people right now, but the fact of the matter is that it is hard to hire people. Yeah. And I make a couple of points with my clients, kind of a strategy for it, is you, you have to acknowledge that the market has changed. It's changed a lot. It, it has changed. Uh, we've got a mutual client who used to hire 
we'll call it just base labor for what he does, unskilled labor, not highly skilled labor, for $14 an hour. And he's now 18 to $24 an hour. Yeah. And he's having trouble keeping guys for that. Yeah. One anecdotal thing was when they had that extra bump on the unemployment from the feds. Yeah. He hired a guy for, uh, I think, $20 an hour, whatever it was. Anyway, it was the most he'd ever paid for that position. The guy worked three days, came in and said, I got to have 2150 And he said, what? And I'd never done that before, but he took the amount he was getting paid from the government yeah. and divided by 40 and he had 2150 He was getting paid by the government 2150 an hour. And, oh, and our client, my client had, uh, was paying him 18 Yeah. And the guy said, not only that, the government's not withholding taxes. Yeah. And you are. And so we couldn't match that. And the guy went home. He'd been there three days. So that that's one reason um, that little bump deal is not there anymore. Yep. Uh, but there's also a child thing where you get $250, $350 a child. Yep. Anyway, in, in overarching, I don't think it can be denied, the government's been paying people not to work. Essentially. And they're maybe backing off that a little bit. And... But people have, some people have become accustomed to that, Yeah, and, which I find really hard to understand. But they have become accustomed to that. And then the word's getting around that, hey, people are paying more. We have yep, people walking absolutely. in and applying and saying, well, you said $22, but I'll take 24 And they're, they're asking for things. Yeah. So as employers, you, you said, what are our discussions about? You have to acknowledge that. And well, you also have to acknowledge the work from home thing. I know that, you know, sometimes you're hiring a tech, there's not, you know, working from home doesn't really exist. But if you're hiring somebody that's in the office, you're competing with remote jobs, you know, yeah. that you're not. Well, the whole, the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And uh, bonuses. I mean, there are all kinds of things people. In my initial, uh, I'm old school, but my initial response, somebody coming in and demanding a bunch of stuff is screw you. Yeah. I mean, that. I just, that's just my initial reaction. Well, there's, a, that's difference. Not the there's right, a difference. That's not the right reaction. There's a difference in demanding and having a conversation. If someone comes to me having a conversation, hey, I really love working here. I, you know, I, I enjoy what's going on and the, the opportunities that I have to grow and to learn and to challenge myself and do meaningful work. I love our culture. I love our team. I'm recognizing that I'm also being underpaid because the market's changed. And I'm getting offers from other companies. Is there are there any plans or any ways that I can grow as in terms of my finances in this company? Because I'd like to. Hmm. That's a completely different conversation than. Yeah, I was mostly thinking about people who are showing up in response to ads. Um, oh, that's gotcha. what I've got mostly going on. Okay. And like I said, my my first reaction is take it or leave. I mean, and I'm old school, and that's not correct. Sure. Um, but we have to acknowledge that. And then something else I think we're going to talk about today, too, because it's at the top of the list for most people is pricing. If your labor costs have gone up 35 percent, you're kind of changing prices. Yep. You you can't. I don't want to get on pricing yet, but you you can't absorb it. And I have an article out there called Hiring in the Post-COVID World. And one of the things that points I make is that the market has changed. Don't be going, I'm not paying $18. I'm in, you know, it's changed. Yeah. And so you're going to have to go with it. The second thing is you've kind of got to uh, look at how you approach attracting people. In the old ads, well, journeyman electrician must have three years experience, you know, must have these certificates, must be available, must be, must yeah. be able to do good math, must be able to track, will be responsible. All these dry things that are about what you want from this person that begin with must must yeah. have, must have, or uh, what's it, what do they call it? It's an advantage if you can do these things. Pay commensurate with experience. Yeah, those used to get responses, but journeyman electrician, for example, can work anywhere. Yeah, matter of fact, threat of firing an electrician is is no threat at all because it can be working or she can be working at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Absolutely, you know, that's just the way. Well, it is. you have to just understand where leverage is. It's the same thing right. in marketing, where you know the you used to have leverage as the company in terms of sales, because you had all the knowledge and all the information. Right. People couldn't just go and if you were selling cars, they couldn't just go and look up 
you know, what cars are in their area for sale for this amount of money with this many miles, this model make trim. But now they can go and look, they can buy the car and have it delivered to their front door. Right. They have the leverages, if they have the leverages, the customer, because they can get all the knowledge they need to be able to make an educated purchase. Same thing with the hiring. You used to have to go and look at the classifieds. And you used to be able to only find work at certain places. And so the employer had the leverage because they said, I'm looking for this person, this person only. You come and apply, I'll interview you, and I'll make the choice. Now, you as an employer are having to figure out how you can get the, you know, find the leverage in it. But the the employee has all the leverage because there's so many job opportunities out there right now. Well, and that's, that's the point. The second thing is when you write an ad, it needs to be attractive. Exactly. I, I have an example of that. I don't try to read it, but it's in that article. But I have two real ads. Um, one I took from Indeed, and the other was from a client of mine. And just look at it and see the difference. One has personality. It sounds like, yep. hey, these guys, well, I would like to, to work with these guys. And, hey, they acknowledge it's tough, but they're saying it. I think one of their phrases is, uh, we're, if you're willing to bet on yourself, we're willing to bet on you too. Yeah. You know, what we do is not easy. So it's straight shooter uses good adjectives, yep. and it increases the possibility of bringing something in. One thing that you said on leverage, um, leverage implies power, right? And whether it's the employer, 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 employer in the past using power, or the employees today, or prospective employees using power, yeah, it's... That's a dangerous deal. It's guys. very dangerous because right, the employers right now who were power brokers and by God, this is how it is are having a tough time. Right? Yeah, because they're having to change. Well, I say to the employees now, an individual may not see this, but this is happening. Employees are saying we got the power. So what are employers doing? Robots, automation. Yep. You go into the kiosks in McDonald's, and there are a lot of people there, but they're not as many as would have been there. So finding a way to work, persuasion both ways, uh, yeah. and give and take, like you said, negotiations, and, and having that attitude. But that's not going to affect a lot of people today, but people buying robots for loading their CNC yeah. machines and you automate things, and maybe that's the way the world's going. We don't need any people anymore. <laughs> not well, yet. we'll always need people. Uh, we may not need as many specialists but we will need generalists that can think critically, that can solve problems, that can create strategies and solutions. I think to your point with leverage and power, it's true. But just as the employers used to have more power and leverage, you didn't, as most employees didn't want to go work for the employers that were using that leverage and that power against the employees that were, you know, require them to work 60 hour weeks and not paying them overtime and, you know, using that power. Uh, that's not the place where you wanted to work. You really don't want the employees that are trying to use that power all the right. time. You're, you want the people who are, while they know they might have the power, they are generous, they're thoughtful, they're kind, they're empathetic. They want you a part of the team and they want to be a part of the team. Those are the qualities that you're really looking for in an employee and an employer. Right. Um, and that are willing to take one for the team to see the bigger picture. It's a little outside of today's topic, but it's uh, understanding your culture and looking for cultural fit. Exactly. And what everybody is having, everybody I know is having trouble hiring. Yeah. I think without exception, maybe you're not, I don't know. You've got pretty good crew. But my point to people is there are good people out there. Absolutely. I mean, stellar people that fit your culture, want to work, engaged, want to learn, do all the things that we find. They're, They're still out there. Even though people say you can't hire good people anymore, they are out there. And the real strategy is to find good ones and accumulate them. And we can have interviewing strategies to improve the odds of getting somebody, but a lot of people who look really good, matter of fact, really good at hiring, don't even show up for the first day, right? Yeah. That That's happened oh, in the last so, week. Yeah. You know, and so you, you can improve the odds, but your strategy needs to be accumulate and find and accumulate. And you might have to go through five to get one. Maybe yep. you get lucky and get one the first time. But consciously uh, doing the things that make people realize that you appreciate them. And it's not always money. It's, it's Well, I, th- I think this is, and what you're saying falls right in line with this, but it can't be something that you're only have in place when you need it. 
Right. You you have to have a system for hiring, for recognizing talent, for recognizing cultural fits that is available and running all the time. Because right now when you need it, it's too late. Right. You know, you're hiring right now and it's too late. Well, that late. means it needs to be a part of your culture. It's got to be a part of your culture. It's got to be a part of your business strategy, a part of your operations to always find and know where the talent is and be engaged with them. Um, and that's a difficult thing to do. It's, it's, I'm, I'm saying it. It's a lot easier to say than to execute on, but it's possible. And, there's well, companies and it's that not do it hard to well. execute on if you accept it. Uh, old school guys thinking, I mean, I have them. They're saying maybe things have changed. Yeah. Maybe I have to put up with this. But that's an exceptional person who's willing to yeah. introspect. Been doing something 40 years one way and realize it's changing. In a, in a big area for this, uh, that makes it easier to have this system rather than just having high turnover and having a system to go find the talent and bring them in. It's really not the ideal way to run your company is where you're always hiring 20 people, not necessarily because you're growing so much, but more so because you're turning over so much. Right. Ideally, you want to keep the people, right? And that goes into one of our points. You want to keep the people that you want to keep. You want to keep yeah. the people you want to keep. But, well, you want to hire people that you want to keep. Right. And I'm just, I want people to know, and, and you know this too, that's not automatic. It's. I mean, it doesn't matter what they look like. You can improve the odds by... We, we have other episodes on how to interview and look for values and things yeah. like that. Hire for skill, fire for attitude. Um, but it's not easy to do that. It's not. I mean, you're always like, are you kidding me? Well, and that's what I want to talk about, investing in your team. You know, uh, investing in your team doesn't always look like money, doesn't always look like time off, doesn't always look like great benefits. While those things matter, there are some of the intangibles that most business owners won't think about doing or what aren't willing to do. And I think one of the most valuable things you can do for your team as a contractor that not many contractors are doing is create a one-on-one -on -one with your team, mm -hmm. with each member on your team in a weekly format. I don't care if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or an hour. Sit down with each member on your team, or if it's not you, a manager doing that with your team, it depends on how big you are. You know, If you've got 50 people, you can't do that, but your managers can do it. But set up a structure where there's a one-on-one -on -one with each person on your team, where they feel like they're getting your time. It's similar to your, your family. They don't want your money. They want you. You know. And if you're showing to your employees that you're willing to give them 15 minutes that's just their time, where you want to know what their challenges are, you want to know what their problems are, both personal and professional. You want to know what goals they have. And you're actually going to try to help them achieve those, that you're going to give them your advice, your wisdom, so that they can reach those things. That's an investment that will go far beyond just having the you know health insurance on the team for benefits. Yeah, the benefit matters, but people wanna be invested in. They wanna feel like they matter to the company. They wanna feel like they can grow. And if they're meeting with someone who's at a higher level at a company, has more experience, uh, that that's gonna be something that they're gonna appreciate and they're gonna feel that they're a part of this team that they're invested in. The, the difficulty with that is, I agree with everything you're saying, but that comes naturally to some people and that's very difficult to others. It, absolutely. And you have to work at it. And one thing, if you want to know where you stand in that regard, there's a book, First Break All the Rules by Buckingham and Kaufman. And they have a list of 12 questions in there. And if you give them to your uh, team, it will tell you how you're doing. Uh, you should have very high score, like nine or, nine or, nine or 10 if you rank it on one to 10. Uh, if you're doing well in any places that you're not. And there are questions like, in the last seven days, somebody's talked to me about my performance. I understand what's clearly expected of me. But these questions are um, the result of 80,000 interviews by the Gallup organization. Yeah. Um, so it's a good place. You can get that. You can email Name us. Name the book again? It's called First Break All the Rules. First Break All the Rules. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you may not be good as the business owner at managing people, at investing in them one-on-one. -on -one. Find someone who is. If it's your partner, let them do it. If it's a manager that's a people person and is great at these things, find them and make that a part of their role. But it's, it doesn't have to be you. It just needs to be done at, so, at mm -hmm. some level. Um, it, we spend the majority of our time working. You're, you know, it's it's what consumes the best hours of our day. At eight a.m., we're at work. 
and to not feel a connection and a purpose and meaningfulness at, and during the best hours of your day, people are going to leave if they don't feel that. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't used to be that way as a paycheck, but you can go get a paycheck elsewhere. Yeah, it, it's There's changing. that old uh, parable or whatever it is, the three masons working on a church, and they asked the first guy, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying bricks. And the second guy says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a church. The third guy says, I'm honoring my God. So they're doing the same thing, yeah. but they have different purpose. Perspectives, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's... That those twelve questions is a great place to see where you where you stand. Yeah, but I, I do think overall, you know, t and two topics to to date are partnerships and came up because I've got one that's blowing up right now, and you may know somebody. Second one is employees uh, because everybody's concerned about that. We've got those problems. Um, I think a third one we want to talk about, and it kind of relates to employees because of having to pay more money is issues I'm hearing all the time, every day. With pricing. Pricing. Yeah. And the way I talk to my contractor and manufacturing clients, well, everybody about it is that, look, the Chinese didn't have any trouble telling you, telling their shipping agent that the cost has gone up, and the shipping agent didn't have any trouble telling the wholesaler that the cost went up. The wholesaler didn't have any problem telling your distributor that it went up. And when it gets to you, most of my clients are having a really hard time telling their customers the price went up and they're just eating it. Yeah. Uh, hopefully people who are listening aren't all eating it, but it's really common. Yep. And that includes the, the price of the materials that you're getting from importers, but also the people who are working for you. Yeah. You, you can't eat it all. You're not the buffer for the world. You, you have to have the courage to raise your prices. I gave a presentation out of town here two weeks ago and used actual numbers about a five million dollar company who made uh, sixty five thousand dollars last year on five million of sales freaking ridiculous yeah what the hell are you doing how did that happen well i priced this stuff and then the next ship shipment of materials i got anywhere up 20 percent. i said well you got to do a surcharge you got to do something. something you got to leave it open you can't price it you know price it with a range whatever it is, well, my competitors will not do that. And I said, well, fine. <laughs> you know, what's your point? You want to come to work and like you use it like a gym membership <laughs> where you get exercise and actually pay for the right to do it. And that passing the costs on is, is something everybody's having a real hard time with more and more. They're doing it. Yeah. And they're not really getting that much pushback. Um, in, in other words, it's working, but, you have to be, that comes up all the time. And we just want the listeners to think about that. What am I doing this for? If I'm working and I'm not making any money and I'm getting ambushed by costs from labor and material, what are you doing? Yep. It's time to pony up. And I know we don't like to put numbers in a, in a podcast, but one of the numbers that I use all the time is if you have a 35% margin and you increase your prices 10%, you can lose 22% of your business and make the same profit that is intended to give you courage to raise prices. If you got a 5% margin and you raise your prices 10%, I'm not looking at the table, but you can lose about 40% of your business. Yeah. And you're, how did you get to five? Because you got squeezed by price hikes that you didn't know about and by labor costs. Yeah. And so I think people see, those, people see those numbers and they think, wow, I could lose all my business and make the same amount of profit. But what they're thinking is, man, I'm, yeah, if I but if I have that much less customers, I'm not going to be able to afford all these employees, and I would have to let them go. And you can sell them because it, they're so valuable. Exactly. <laughs> what it, what's important to recognize, though, is it goes back to the objective purpose of business that we've talked about before: is that you're not in this to run a charity. You're not in this to just employ people. You're not in it to make sales. Yes, you you're are. You're not even in it to make profit. You're in it to make profit that you can collect. That you can turn into cash. Right. That is that you're in it to make yeah. cash so that you can generate more cash. And yes, there are benefits to generating cash that allow you to employ people, that allow you to have a great culture, that allow you to be in the community, that whatever subjective reason you have for being in business, but you can't sit here and run a high top dollar 
you know, um, top line revenue sales organization. You're in it to run a high bottom line organization. Right. And it's a, it's a shift in perspective that changes the way that you run and the way that you're going to have to raise prices eventually. Another thing with raising prices though, you can't, we're talking about doing it reactively and it, it's always a little too late when you run it reactively, you run into these issues, these, these financial troubles, these stressful times, because you're doing it reactively. And if you can do it proactively, mm-hmm. if you can see that, oh, wow, inflation's going up. If you get it, or seeing that the government's pumping money and inflation's going to go up, you can start to see that, wow, people are having a hard time hiring because they're not paying enough. Mm-hmm. My labor costs are going to go up. Start to raise your prices proactively and you'll be thankful that you did because you won't have those that quarter or two quarters of times where you were reactive and were are down financially and running out of money. It's, it's a lot easier said than done, but the more proactive you can be with your price increases, with your hiring process, with your marketing, and you know, the, the better. We have all kinds of people listening, you know, if you're general or a remodeler or something like that, you're, you're dealing with the public. If you're cabinet manufacturer, you're selling to builders who's tuned in a little bit, but just go raise the damn prices. Just go up. Just the next. If you're driving somewhere, listening to this, raise the price five percent. Yeah. Just, just do it because, I mean, maybe it should be more than that, but that's an exercise. Yeah. Because people, just almost always find out I raised it and nothing happened. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't, especially B2B, you know, where somebody's going to complain and they're going to push back and tell your competitors hired that and. If you have reasons other than just price that they do business with you, they'll be back. Yep. But you have to hit that disgust point. Uh, Jim Rohn talks about it, that disgust is such a great word. It generally has a negative connotation, but it can be a powerful, positive force. Yeah. Like, I'm disgusted. I am sick of going to work. I'm sick of being short of cash. I'm sick of chasing employees who don't want to be here. I'm not doing this anymore. Yep. I'm going to make enough money that I can pay wages and keep people and I collect my uh, receivables and I'm just, I'm sick of it. I'm not doing this for fun anymore because it's not fun anymore. And yeah. And this goes into another thing that I want to talk about with branding. Um, if you think that you're competing on price and if you are competing on price, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And really, if you can compete on brand, uh, which can mean a variety of different things, but for another reason other than price, your unique value proposition, then you're going to be able to raise prices and it won't matter. Because people aren't paying, aren't using you for your price. They're using you for right. the quality of your product, for your reputation, for the service you provide, for the efficiencies, for the the uh, you know communication, communication for the ease of working with you. That's your brand, and your brand is your reputation. It's not something that you determine necessarily. You can be intentional about your brand, uh, but it's it's ultimately what the customer says you are. That's your right. brand. If you've been out there any length of time you you have a brand you either created it or yeah it happened to you exactly and i think that's where people get branding wrong right and this is something that we're dealing with i know we're a marketing agency but it's helpful for companies to know that they think of branding as a logo and some colors you know and really your brand has a lot more to do with who you are than what you look like right uh, it has to do with what your unique value proposition is. What's unique about you in the marketplace? Why are people choosing you over the competitors? Has a lot more to do with what your customers are saying about you, and what what makes your company just a little bit different. Uh, has to do with your culture, uh, with your your operation strategy, and when you ha- are intentional about those things and you try to put those things into a defined. Uh, document, if you will, a branding document, then you can be intentional about what your logo looks like, what your website looks like, what words you use on social media and on your on your website, uh, in your conversations with customers. I've had conversations this week with companies that are, you know, trying to get a brand done and they're, one of them went to a random website um, that, you know, they could outsource the logo to and they got it done for I think 50 bucks. Then the other it's one. It's kind of high on fiber, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little high. Now, whenever you find, I mean, they may be creative for you for five bucks, but if you want to be able to use it, you need to pay yeah. them a, 
licensing fee yeah. or whatever it is. So 50 bucks. Then another one who just uses a, used a print shop. Uh, hey, we need a logo for, we're thinking about getting a new logo. Can you design us one? Sure. And it's kind of like saying, I mean, hey, I, I need a, I need to get a new machine in my, in my shop. You think I can get, you think you can get you got me, any machines? You got any machines I can use? You got a skid steer and you need a CNC mill. Yeah. It, it just doesn't make sense to use someone that is meant for printing to do your branding strategy for you or create a logo for you. You should put a lot more time and thought into those things. Um, you know, just for a, a range for you, just like you don't want to get your, here's a good example. Just like you don't want to get your partnership agreement off of the internet for five bucks. Right. Legal zoom. You might need to go see that attorney and, and pay the 5,000, maybe $10,000 to make sure it's covering all the bases so that whatever there is an issue, it's able to be handled in the correct way. Not, a you know, multi six figure litigation that you have to go into. Um, and that same thing happens with branding. If you're going to be intentional about it, if you're going to do it the right way, you, and you're going to be able to use that brand to then attract the right customers that don't worry about price, attract the right employees that want to work for you and aren't just demanding certain wages. If you're going to be able to do that, you are going to have to spend some money on it. Could be $5,000, could be $20,000. Depends on how you're structured and how big you are and you know what value that brand can do for you. Uh, but just something to think about is you know, make sure that you're investing in good branding. And the other thing I want to say on this is it's not just a single event. For some companies, you know, working with a cabinet shop, for them, their cabinets are a visual thing. People buy their cabinets for the functionality, but they also buy them because it makes their kitchen look the way it looks. And it's such a visual thing that they need. So when they build their website and they people come to their website, they want to see examples. They want to see visuals. And if I'm the cabinet shop, I'm investing in really high quality photography, professional photography, and not just once. When people come to my website, people are buying cabinets. It may be a multi-year decision where they're researching and they're thinking about it. You don't want to just have three jobs that you've got really good pictures of. Every time there's that really good job that is you know out of this world, even if it's out of my league, like I, I did this job, but I only get these hundred thousand dollar kitchen remodels once or twice a year. Majority of my jobs are in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. You want to show the hundred thousand dollar jobs on your website. Because mm -hmm. the people that are paying for the fifteen or twenty thousand dollar job, they envision their kitchen as a hundred thousand dollar job. I've got job. a guy um, this week and we're talking about segmenting his market. And you know how they put dollar signs on like Yelp, like this restaurant. Yeah, this restaurant's one dollar five dollar signs. Yeah, yeah. He's putting five dollar signs on his website. Yeah, absolutely. Just, he's just doing it himself. It's high end. It's yeah. high end. And that's what you want to be able to display with your words, but also with the visuals. And that's why, you know, if, if you're that contractor that you're, especially if you're selling directly to homeowners and you're selling a bigger project, every single job that you do that is high end, that is the ideal project for you that you may only get a few of right now, go get photos of it. High mm -hmm. quality photos. Don't pay your wife's friend to go take the photos. Go find a company that can get all the different angles, all the different aspects. So I can't know. use my new iPhone 13 that I spent $2,000 for because it says it has a good camera? You can use that for social media. That's fine. I you're just posting, hey, media. we're working on this job today. Yeah, yeah, go use that phone. But no, go pay right. someone to do it the right way and, and use those photos on your website. That's just as much a part of your branding as a logo, in my opinion. We know what's, what's kind of fun about today is these subjects of partnerships and the consequences of not having one, hiring people, uh, price changes and branding are conversations that you and I have had with real clients this week. Yeah, it's, and, it's real challenges. Uh, more than once. Yep. And so hopefully this kind of discussion about these topics give you specific information, but also the global information that you're not alone. Yeah. A lot of people come in to me early on and they really do feel isolated, like they're screwing up and everybody else is doing real well. And my oh. response to that always is, the only reason you think that is because you haven't talked to them. <laughs> now, there are people who are doing real, real well. It never becomes effortless, or at least I've never seen that. But yeah, the things that you're worried about that you're suffering from are, are common. Very common. The, the specific ones not, but the category 
is common. Yeah. And I think we probably will do this some more in the future. Where Absolutely. We talk about topics that come up during the week because they can be informative and assuage those feelings. Absolutely. Yeah, big So, uh, Ethan, I'm emulating and assuaging today. <laughs> huh? I'm going to have to go look both those words up. Yeah. <laughs> so, a um, couple things that I'll cap us off with just to review on partnerships. Be intentional about it. Go and, and make sure that if you don't have a really good operating agreement, go do it now proactively, not when you need it, because it won't get done when you need it. <laughs> it needs to be done up front on your pricing. Try to be proactive rather than reactive and don't be afraid to raise right. your prices. If, if everyone else ahead of you is doing it and in the supply chain, you need to be doing it right. too. You Even not, if your competition's not. Absolutely. Most generally, they're not geniuses. I mean, if, yeah. if, if, your competition's if you can't not, figure out how they're doing it or they're twice as efficient as I am, if they are, then maybe they are. But yeah, they're, they're just losing money. They're just losing money, exactly. On hiring, you're going to have to change. The market's changed. You're going to have to change with it. You may have to pay more. You may have to write your ads differently. Uh, you may have to change the culture of your company, or, or maybe it's it's harder to change your culture than it is to highlight your culture and talk about why you're such a great place to work uh, and how you invest in your employees. And you're, you're going to have to invest in your team. Uh, that may be with benefits, with hiring wages, but also with your time. You're going to have to give some time to your employees. Um, and with your brand, it's something, again, to see as a, it's, going to, it's what's going to allow you to hire better employees. It's, it's what's going to allow you to increase your prices without having to Yeah, it contributes back. to everything. It contributes to everything. So um, those are some key points for today. If you want to see my lovely beard I'm growing, then you need to go onto YouTube to watch this podcast. Uh, we're really working on growing that channel. Uh, if you watch YouTube, we're also breaking them down into clips where you can watch shorter snippets of these. I know, you know I've talked to a few people that are listeners and Sometimes their commute's only 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and these are hour-plus long podcasts at times. So go check us out on YouTube, YouTube and you'll get some of those, uh, those clips. Um, but if you'll share this with all your friends, your coworkers, peers in the industry, we'd love it, uh, trying to grow and reach more people. We'd love to hear from you if you've got topics yeah, that you want to— If wanna... you have any frustrations or anything that you're in your mind, the obstacle is the way. I yeah. love that. And if you've got an obstacle and you're saying, well, I don't need to talk to these guys or those guys because you just can't do anything about this, the way is to figure that out. Absolutely. And we'd love to talk about it. So things that are that are obstacles, we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. All right, Martin. Another one down. Yes, sir. See you next time. Next time. Thanks for listening to The Cash Flow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.